Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to the Omarpreneur podcast. I'm so excited today to bring to you a very special guest. This episode has been, let me tell you guys, at least over a year in the making. We've been trying to bring Hassam on this podcast and it hasn't really worked out with our schedules. And finally, alhamdulillah, this month we've been able to have the barakah of Allah to make it work. And I'm excited to bring to you Hassam because Hassam, he really is a specialist in Islamic history. He's a researcher and educator on this topic. And he's going to be able to share with us today in this episode a lot of information not only about our history as Muslims and some things that you may not know, but also how Islamic history connects to entrepreneurship specifically. And that's really a topic that I'm interested in. And I'm curious to hear Hassan's thoughts on this topic, inshallah. So without further delay, Hassan, salam alaikum on this podcast. Welcome. So excited to have you. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you. And uh, assalamu alaikum to all the viewers as well. And I'm really excited. Again, we've been trying to do this for a long time and alhamdulillah, glad it's finally happening. Alhamdulillah, definitely. And the pleasure is all mine, brother. So before we start to really dive into the topics that I kind of planned for today, I want you to share a little bit more about yourself with our audience. So what kind of got you into history specifically? What inspired you to really focus on this topic and really delve deep and specifically into Islamic history? Uh, yeah, it's been a journey and uh, it continues, alhamdulillah, having a lot of fun. Um, history can be fun. Let me start with that uh, for <laughs> Those who may think differently. Um, so for me, when I was growing up, you know, growing up in a Western society, in a post 9-11 sort of social environment, um, you have a lot of questions about your faith, especially as an immigrant. I live in Canada. I've lived here my whole life, but I wasn't born here. And so as you grow up and you grapple with these questions of uh, your identity, your place in the world, right? And especially, you know that Islam will be a core aspect of it, but you don't know uh, which Islam necessarily you're supposed to be following. There's the cultured Islam of your parents that they have sort of brought from a certain part of the world and that you see at home. Then there's the conversations about Islam in the media, right? Um, especially again, uh, in those particular years when I was growing up. Um, then you go to different uh, mosques even, and I'm blessed to live in Toronto, Alhamdulillah, very vibrant Muslim community. And you go to different masajid and you get sort of different flavors of Islam, even though the core teachings might be the same, right? And while you're trying to figure all of that out, you're also trying to figure out, uh, of course, um, solutions because you see all of these difficulties within the Muslim community, uh, within Muslim families, and within uh, the Ummah globally, right? You see different Muslim societies struggling with war and poverty and uh, all of these other issues. And so you are as a child trying to figure all of these things out and there's so many Islams and I kind of had a sense that that's the first thing I want to figure out because it affects me most immediately and so you start reading about Islam outside of your own context where has Islam been practiced by whom and what has that looked like and what kind of societies has Islam produced historically and of course the first one to start with is the society of the early Muslims of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Uh, because of course, you know, you know that people claim to have sort of the right interpretation of Islam, but there's probably no better interpretation, obviously, than the person who came to deliver that message uh, and to show us how Islam is lived uh, in a human life and in a human society. So I started reading about the Prophet Wasallam. Uh, a lot. I read his seerah a lot. I, le I read basically anything on his life that I could get my hands on and that I could 
sort of understand as I was growing up, uh, you know, as a teenager, listening to a lot of lectures and things like that. Um, yeah. And then from there, right, you, you see this beautiful community and society that he established. And then you see that Ummah, which has gotten much uh, larger, now it's everywhere, mashallah, right? And you are a part of it. And now you want to know, well, how did we go from point A to point B, right? How did we get here specifically? So it's always, once you get to that end point of the worldly life of the Prophet wasallam, you're like thinking, what happened next? And then what happened after that? And what, how did we get here? This crazy story, what is it? So that's what basically got me into history. And the more I read, the more I understood that people are uh, a product of their circumstances generally, right? And what we often do is we we ask people to change. And obviously, every individual has, a make, has to make that effort to uh, change their own condition as much as they're capable of doing so. Um, but nevertheless, when we think about large-scale community change or social change, we have to look at what are the conditions that uh, make people behave a certain way or influence their decisions in a certain direction anyways, right? Um, so that Islam has not changed. It's sort of the practice of Islam and the way that Islam was built into cultural norms and the functioning of a society that has changed in different times and places. So Alhamdulillah, we have the same Quran, we have the same Sunnah to look at. Um, we have those essential ingredients, right? All of the tools that we need to work with the culture of the time that we're living in to produce not only the best versions of ourselves, but also the best society that's possible uh, in these conditions, right? So, so these are some of the lessons I started learning and in a very exciting way, all of these stories and the rich history, it's all fascinating stuff. And so once that was something that was helpful for me in terms of figuring out my identity and what my role is, what my responsibility is towards humanity, um, the next step was to then start sharing it with others in the best way possible. MashaAllah, I love that. And I'm curious because, you know, for me growing up, for example, going through school, one thing that you touched upon before we dive deeper into the topic of Islamic history is as you mentioned, history isn't always exciting, but it can be. So growing up for you, did you know that you always had a love for history and you wanted to dive deep into it? Or was it really what you described here, which is that curiosity of wanting to learn more about you, the history of Islam and then how we got to where we are today at, at a later stage in life, more as an adult, that kind of drove you towards really specializing within uh, history and Islamic history specifically? I would say I'm a curious person in general, so I love learning about, you know, whatever I can understand. I, I'm not great at certain subjects, right? Like, you know, math or science or things like that. You know, don't come to me with questions on that stuff. But uh, I love to learn whenever I can grasp, right? So I think that natural curiosity was there, alhamdulillah, since uh, I was a child and very much encouraged uh, by my parents to not just sort of uh, try to excel academically, but to to maintain that that curiosity about everything that you see um, and, and understand how it connects to who you are and your place uh, in the world. Um, but I do honestly think that if it hadn't been for this search for solutions and this search for meaning, I may not have as gone as far uh, in the field of history as I did, right? People will come up to me and they say history is boring. And uh, I often agree because they're, they're, they're often like joking around or they're messing with me, right? They're like, ah, oh, history is a boring subject or it's not a great career or whatever. And they're kind of surprised often when I'm like, hey, I agree with you, right? If history is done for history's sake, it doesn't 
you know, stay exciting for very long. If you have sort of a higher purpose that you're reaching for and you're using history as basically as a map to navigate to reach that destination that you're seeking, then it's going to stay exciting for you for the entirety of the journey. Other than that, it might get pretty boring. You know, these big dusty books and and things like that. I mean, come on, we all want to live like a fun life, an interesting life. We want to be on we want to be on TikTok, not in the library. You know what I mean? So, um, so, so that's just the way we are right now. But I think in my personal journey, yes, I think the search for answers is what made history more meaningful uh, for me. Mm -hmm. I, I want to ask you this because a big part of history, and I think you know, when we try to drive usefulness out of it, is understanding. There's two parts to it. Number one is, in my opinion, understanding how we got to where we are today which I think is a very valuable piece of it. And it's something that you touched upon. And the second part is not repeating past mistakes, learning from our past so we can be better in our future and in the present as well. Now, I want to ask you this question. Do you feel like right now through the history that you've studied and specifically the Islamic history that you've studied, do you feel like we're in a cycle right now where we have learned from past mistakes or do you feel like we might be still repeating some mistakes of the past today? In the present, I, I think it's a very open-ended question, so I don't yeah. put a lot on you there. But go ahead. I, I think it's a great question. Um, I think we are um, sort of, uh, you know, maybe not even call it repetition, but but just continuing to uh, carry forward the mistakes that have just not been corrected for a long time uh, might be a more clearer way to describe it, right? Um, because I do think that. Um, there's 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 a lack of awareness even some things that we uh may not realize um historically existed or we may not realize are problems today right um sometimes i see current events and it, it feels like almost like deja vu not because i've lived in some past reality but because you know it's like i've seen this movie before right i've, I've seen this happen before there is sort of like this this cycle to to human society is a cycle to history right um, but most people are not aware of the cycle at all. I think sometimes when we say that um, we repeat the mistakes of history, right, um, it's sometimes assumed by the person saying it or by the person hearing it that uh, what's meant there is that there's a deliberate kind of uh, carelessness that we'll just repeat the mistakes of history or that, you know, there's there's an assumption that, hey, we went and we studied history and we understood everything and then we chose to repeat those mistakes, which is not the case at all, right? We need to learn the history first and then identify what may be mistakes, what things we might be thinking are great for our communities and for our societies, but they may actually be mistakes. Where things that we might consider mistakes, but they're just part of the function of human society. They may not necessarily be mistakes. They might need some minor tweaks and things like that. So what I see as, as my role here is to just give uh, a broader horizon, like a, a bigger picture to people about what history is, right? And I say that a lot, that my job is to just show you the possibilities of history, everything that has actually happened, it will blow your mind, right? And then we start to learn from that and say, hey, how does this uh, kind of sound similar to what we're going through right now? Um, 
was this something that, uh, you know, headed in a direction that was ultimately something that we would be happy with? Or uh, did this uh, sort of fall off at some point? Or was it sort of a recipe for disaster from the get-go? Like all of these questions you kind of grapple with. But first, you just have to get a baseline understanding of everything that's actually happened in history, which is why I tell people like, you know, don't jump to make sort of value judgments, right? When you're reading history, make sure you read it for a while, make sure you reach a certain amount of depth before you decide whether the person you're reading about in the past, whether they did the right or the wrong thing. Because if you jump into value judgments immediately, then um, you will start to miss the lessons that you yourself can learn. And it will also prevent you, it will shut off some of your curiosity to uh, continue to dig deeper into that particular topic. Is there an element of it that's frustrating though? Because, and here's the reason why I asked that, because you, you yourself specifically, especially someone like yourself, mashallah, who has studied history, history extensively to see that there are, as you mentioned, there's, there's a movie that's kind of playing over and over again, right? Is that frustrating? Does it make you feel like, yes, there's that, there's kind of like that benefit of learning about history, but as human beings, as the human race, we are constantly, regardless of the history, regardless of the past mistakes, we are not learning from them. Is that something that you feel or is, or do you, is, do you feel a different way? Um, I don't necessarily feel upset about that or anything. I mean, you know, it's, um, uh, it's, it's, it's easy to, I guess, um, give up on society, right? But Prophet again, as Muslims, uh, we're always taught to be optimistic, right? And the Prophet uh, taught us that optimism through his own example, uh, despite living in, you know, very difficult uh, sort of stages of life and uh, situations and all those kinds of things, right, where you don't give up, right, where, where people for, for decades were antagonized towards Islam and doing everything to um, uh, basically not only, uh, you know, ruin the Muslim community, but essentially, right, in a sort of cosmic standpoint, bring about their own ruination. Right, because they're trying to do that, and yet not giving up on them and and some of those people eventually embracing Islam. Right, so we have this sort of built into our tradition that you you do not sort of um, go on full blown sort of uh, critiques and uh, of society and start to isolate yourself and say there's no hope and these types of things. Right, it's like we'll do the best we can, and maybe nobody will learn the lesson. Right. And maybe some people will learn the lesson and you want that critical mass of society that select not even a large proportion of the population that's usually responsible for the overwhelming amount of change that happened in any society. Right. Uh, or you might reach a lot of people like there's many different ways that you could go. But for me to kind of keep up the motivation, the day to day work, um, I don't think too much about, you know, who is uh, whose perspective is completely being changed here or who is sort of course of action or behavior or decisions are sort of being affected here. It's like, just keep doing the work and you leave the ultimate result of it uh, with Allah and you accept uh, whatever Allah has decreed for you individually and, and uh, collectively. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So let me ask you this, because obviously a big part of this podcast is about entrepreneurship. And we've talked about this before and through our conversations as well. And even you mentioned to me yourself that there's a lot of uh, of history within w within Islam that correlates to entrepreneurship, and there's a lot of entrepreneurial history, let's say, uh, that we have as Muslims, and that we're not aware of. So I want to tap into that a little bit with you, and I want to really start at the start at the beginning. Number one, when we're talking about 
entrepreneurial history within Islam and how entrepreneurship has connected with Islam throughout the years and influenced it and vice versa. Does it is the, does this conversation start at the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, or does it start before? Right? And the reason why I'm asking this is because of course there's also this topic of well, for a lot of people, it's like, yes, Islam as we know it today, right? Um, our final prophet is Muhammad Sallallahu but a lot of people consider also all the other prophets and the followers of those prophets to be Muslims. So within the context of this conversation, to clear that up before we continue, are we talking specifically about from the time of the prophet Muhammad Sallallahu and and after, or are we talking about even before that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the first thing to do probably is to just, um, again, broaden our definition of of uh, what uh, we consider entrepreneurial work or sort of uh, ambition or, or enterprise, right? Um, because, uh, of course, like nowadays, when you think about the word entrepreneur, you might have certain images or like, you know, mental screenshots of something you saw on LinkedIn or on Instagram or something like that. And that's the culture we live in, right? But this this enterprising spirit, this the, the core elements of what we today would consider entrepreneurship um, as as a as a key to success in life, not just in whatever your particular field of work is. Um, you know that spirit, I think, has been alive uh, from the very beginning, right? People have had to be entrepreneurial, and including um, the prophets that we read about in the Quran in the way that they delivered their message, right? And I often make this parallel between marketing and da'wah, right? I think there's 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 a lot that. Um, we can learn from the history of da'wah, including what we learn in the Quran, if you go into the specifics, the tafsir, and how that aligns with what we understand in terms of modern uh, marketing techniques about, you know, the effectiveness and conveying messaging and all of those things, right? Um, but for my purposes, I focus more on, because that would have to go into sort of tafsir literature, right? Um, which is not my area of expertise at all. So, um, starting with the life of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and his community and the role of entrepreneurship in that, and then you know just broadening the horizons when we talk about the Islamic golden age. Even though I have some minor disagreements with with that conceptualization, but let's say for the sake of description, there's an Islamic golden age. You know the translation movement and the production of culture and uh, knowledge, right, and technology and all of these great achievements, I mean, in some sense, these are all entrepreneurial ventures, right? Um, and, and something that people who are interested in entrepreneurship today can can draw key lessons from, even the, the way that our, our religion has spread around the world and also the way our religious uh, corpus, the body of literature has developed throughout history. These are very entrepreneurial ventures. So, um, I don't know which direction you want to take that in because there's there's a lot that we could talk about all day. Well, right? let me tell. Yeah, well, let me tell you this because I've we I'm clearly, at least I feel personally, and this is like again I'm talking to a historian here, so I I I feel almost embarrassed to share my opinion because it comes from a place of ignorance. But in in my opinion, I feel like at least over the last 100 years, if not more, entrepreneurship and Islam have kind of disconnected from each other. And especially within the Muslim community, it's kind of like we've adopted this mentality of being, you know, the worker, being the per the employee, being the person, the doctor, the engineer, the IT professional, and and putting aside, you know, any any hopes, any desires to actually 
create things, build things, make a bigger difference and go out and take those risks and really transform our communities, our, you know, our countries, the world for the better. And as you mentioned, during the golden age, it is indeed, you know, ultimately the, the, the whole, the whole, the, the whole reason why it existed in the first place is because during that time, even the, the leaders and the cows within that time, uh, and, and I'm not sure if we can call them cause during that time, but the Amiris at least, they financed entrepreneurship actively. They financed entrepreneurs. They financed education. They, if someone wanted to go out and do research, they were financed. If someone wanted to go and, you know, bring information from another country where they feel like that country, you know, they specialize in this, uh, in this science or, you know, in, in they have this body of knowledge that we can acquire and let's bring it back here. Um, uh, you know, to so that we can figure out as Muslims how we can utilize this to grow as a people. And whereas now in the modern society that we live in, I feel like there is no longer any conversation about entrepreneurship in Islam. There is no longer any financing of entrepreneurship within the Muslim community. And now, alhamdulillah, at least we have these individuals, and I'm not going to name them uh, by name, but, you know, if you look at the history of my podcast, I brought almost all of them on the podcast. Uh, that, you know, are start starting up these, you know, Islamic financing groups and that are financing Muslim startups. And it's individuals themselves that are, you know, stepping up and doing this. But there's still very much a lack of leadership. And so my question to you is, you know, this long, long winded way to ask this question. But my question to you is, at what point from when we were at the Islamic Golden Age to where we are today, at what point did the disconnect happen? And why did it happen? And I know that's a very big question. I don't know if you have the answer to that, but if you can shed some light on it, it would be very uh, very, very um, grateful to you, if possible. Uh, yeah, it's a fascinating question, and I definitely won't have a complete answer to it, right? Um, but I do think that, um, obviously, when circumstances are more uh, favorable, people are willing to take more risk, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're they're willing to invest in different ways. They're they're willing to devote time and energy to things that um, that they wouldn't do if in more difficult circumstances, right? So the experience of, of colonialism in particular, um, and th this is after, you know, again, what we conventionally, this is why I said earlier, I don't like the concept of the golden age because, mm -hmm. hey, what day was it when it ended? Wednesday, Thursday, like, you know what I mean? It's, right. It is very difficult to, to kind of uh, make that argument that there was this golden age and then it suddenly wasn't a golden age anymore. Um, so, you know, as, especially the, the experience of, uh, colonialism, I think, um, from my understanding, it it made uh, Muslims and then other people who were colonized as well went through a similar experience, um, more risk averse, right? Um, more sort of uh, unwilling to engage in sort of uh, curiosity, engage in creativity, right? And all of those things require a certain kind of commitment that the Muslim, many Muslim communities around the world felt that they were not able to uh, commit to because of all of the uncertainty that comes from being ruled by uh, colonizers whose uh, essential purpose is to extract resources, right, including human resources, including human labor, including the work that you do every day, um, and, and derive the benefit from it and take all of that benefit to their countries of origin. Right, mm -hmm. and make those countries uh, wealthy and all of those kinds of things. So I do think that um, it it also shut down like you know a sort of community spirit as well, right? So 
if you're doing entrepreneurship and I have two friends who are doing entrepreneurship, the chances of me kind of thinking in that direction are, are going to sort of escalate much more uh, as opposed to, you know, if, if all of us are sort of, we have a conversation in a group and we're all concerned about what's going on, you know, the socioeconomic situation and stuff like that. At some point, I think a lot of Muslims around the world, uh, their primary concern became to climb the economic ladder, right? And specifically the economic ladder, not even, we're not talking about even like, uh, you know, socioeconomic considerations or anything about, you know, um, excelling in any particular field of knowledge or work. Uh, or exploring new ideas and being creative and things like that. Um, it became purely about what kind of uh, work can I do that will guarantee me a regular inflow of material resources. I can feed my family. I can build a home. I can buy like a decent, you know, vehicle and, and just establish a baseline life for myself. And then I will maybe if I have after that, some capacity, I will then try to, you know, uh, explore. Maybe I'll start my own business or, or do something like that, or I'll do another degree or whatever the case might be. Um, and, and I think that uh, that doesn't really give you a full, like a century's worth of human experience and the explanation there doesn't cover it at all. But those are some things to think about. Like, as I think for practical purposes, especially when it comes to things like choosing our careers, right? Are we still just climbing the economic ladder are we truly like you know many of us are in a better position than we realize if we just kind of inculcate that uh high himma as it's known in the uh, islamic tradition right like high ambitions these fiery ambitions this understanding that hey who is supposed to be more successful than a muslim in the world if we claim at the same time that allah is with us and allah will support us and we have like this direct line with Allah five times a day and even more than that through our you know du'as and stuff like that who is supposed to be more successful or are non-muslims then supposed to be more successful than us right and we would say oh but then why are we so risk averse right why are we uncreative why are we so sort of um still stuck in that particular experience of colonialism even though a certain amount of time has passed so these are the kind of things to to think about it's like why do i want to do what I want to do and you know um if there's something i do want to do some vision that i have some idea that i have why am i not pursuing it let me actually sit down and grapple with all of the things that are preventing me and try to see is that list of impediments something that i feel you know that everything my religion gives me would not be able to overcome that list of impediments you know it's just, just a thought process, and I think it's going to take some time, um, but also some mutual encouragement, more conversation, things like your podcast and things like that, just to just to get people sort of thinking in that direction again. What is a, a, a time period or maybe even an individual that we can look at as Muslim entrepreneurs today to seek inspiration from? Um, there's a lot. And, and you know, one of the reasons I, I love this concept of entrepreneurship is because I think of all of these, you know, you, you think of anyone who <laughs> achieved success and then you almost reverse engineer. And there's some people who got lucky. They were just in the right place at the right time and stuff like that. Like I say, lucky in quotation, because of course everything is, is you know, with the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But um, you reverse engineer and you're like, okay, I, I can see sort of a pattern here. People are, uh, you know, sort of, 
measuring uh, their their opportunities and then trying to take advantage of them and then failing, but again having that curiosity, that creativity, that tenacity, that the spirit of contribution, right? That that spirit of aspiring for excellence that they need to achieve all of these things, etc. Um, one of my favorite people to think about um, is uh, actually a, a scholar, right? So um, is Imam Bukhari and and reason his case because if you think about the level of achievement of entrepreneurial achievement there have been thousands upon thousands of hadith scholars in in islamic history right why is it what is different about this one individual that his book right sahih al-bukhari his compilation of of uh hadith mostly from the prophet wasallam, is literally like the main source of guidance for over a billion people today and for many, many more across history, um, after the Quran, this the second most important sort of source of guidance, right? But if you think about the level of influence that that one book has had, right, that one product, if we were to maybe say it in like technical entrepreneurship terms or something like that, that one venture of his, whatever, right? Um, and I actually got to visit Uzbekistan last year, and and that inspired me to read about his his story like in more detail. And, and you start to notice like uh, certain certain habits, right? Certain aspects of his life that aren't commonly discussed. Even the entrepreneurship of his father, right? Who passed away before Imam Bukhari was born. But the entrepreneurial ventures that his father had invested in that continued to bring in a steady flow of income that supported the education of Imam Bukhari, right? When he was young and then later on sort of his, his daily routine, his habits, his his communication, right? People who stayed with him, you know, they said he would he would basically get up like sometimes 17, 18 times at night. So if you get up out of your bed 18 times at night, when are you actually sleeping? Um, so he could do that because some thought had occurred to him and he would go and write it down immediately. He had a habit of immediately writing down notes, right? He would never say, I'll write it down in the morning or I'll write it down later or something like that. And this is despite the fact that he had incredible memory. Right. Absolutely incredible memory that we read about in multiple sources. And yet note taking was so essential to him. He would immediately get up in the middle of the night, actually light the lamp because, you know, you can't just flick on a light switch or something like that and then write it down, put the lamp out and then go lay down again. And then a few you know, minutes later, whatever, he gets up again and then getting up for morning prayers. And then he has a certain routine for how he's going to come up with the titles of the book of the chapters. Right. Uh, and how he's going to organize them and which. Uh, hadith is going to start each section with and all of these things this mindfulness this kind of um you know and and you think about whether that kind of thing is possible in terms of entrepreneurship today when you know we're, we're in living in the era of instant gratification even though we might have sort of entrepreneurial vision what we want is like hey i wrote a blog about islamic history like in my case for example right i want to like i'm tracking like the the statistics like the data who's sharing it who's reading it all these kinds of things and that's going to affect so much what my next blog will look like as opposed to having like these these lifelong commitments where there's no celebration right there's no sort of gratification coming from it um and in in fact in the specific case of imam bukhari as you we can imagine you know he passed away and the, and the social situation in which he passed away uh he was probably thinking is is anyone ever going to remember him? He was not celebrated at the end of his life. He lived in a very difficult situation. 
he did not know if anyone was going to read this book at all or pay attention to it or anything like that. And and just the daily routine of making sure you get up and you do the work and you build something and then you make dua, right, for Allah to put blessing into your work uh, such that, and we see the blessing. I mean, we, we read the blessing, we benefit from it every single day. So so that's one example of a person. And, and, and this is, you know, what I encourage people is like, you know, um, and I encourage people who are sort of religious content producers or imams or khatibs as well. I'm like, let's let's use the language of our time. Let's dig deeper into the lives of these people who we present as purely religious figures. So people in other walks of life are like, well, he's a Hadith scholar. What am I going to learn from him? Right. I'm like an engineer or I'm like uh, like a like a scientist or I'm like a librarian or whatever you might be. Right. But it's like we can we can all learn it's the same baseline kind of lessons. And you, you look at the level of a person's achievement and you're like, I want to get there, right? And and you'll find that you can take away a lot in terms of what you can actually act on yourself. SubhanAllah. You know, reading about, SubhanAllah, some of these scholars today and even some of the companions of the Prophet and, and, and some of the righteous Muslims of the past, you know, you read about, you know, the things they were able to achieve in their lives and in the, the, not only what they were able to achieve, but really the depth of knowledge that they were able to reach. And I feel like right now in our in our modern day and age with so many distractions around us, you mentioned earlier in the episode, you're like, you know, we want to release it. I want to be on TikTok. I don't want to be in the library. It's kind of like, it's almost like fighting against a, a storm around you. There's a storm that's happening around you, right? And you're, and you're constantly having to fight against it for you to produce anything of value. And that truly is, subhanAllah, that truly is, I feel like, really the story of, of a Muslim is there's always going to be a storm around us and there are going to be, whether it's like different types of fitna or different types of distractions that are pulling away at us. And as Muslims, we have to remain steadfast in the storm. We have to remain as a pillar where even those around us who are caught in the storm can then come back and hang on to us so that they don't get swept away. And it is interesting because on this podcast, I've had the honor to speak to yourself, alhamdulillah, as well as so many other amazing Muslims who are in really designing their lives with intention throughout this storm. They're choosing to, instead of fall, pray or victim towards the, to the distractions, the fitness around us, they are choosing instead to put conscious and focused effort towards a worthy goal. And I think ultimately, if as Muslims, we can all aim to invest our conscious and 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 really our attention, our worthy effort towards a goal that is noble, a goal that helps further the Ummah, a goal that pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ultimately, no matter what happens, whether we do achieve success or not, whether your business does grow to the amount that you want it to or not, it's not about the result. It's about the path of getting there. And and you were sharing the story of Imam, um, Imam Bukhari with me right now and sharing that ultimately he went through this entire journey and it was, as you mentioned, with no celebration towards the end. Because the celebration for Imam Bukhari is not, you know, the the reward that he gets. It's not him seeing, oh, there's so many people that are using um, all these hadith books that I've helped put together. The reward is the work in itself. And if if as Muslims we shift our perspective to find pleasure and and reward within the work, rather than within the result, I think would be much better off and much further than we are today. Agreed. Beautifully said. Let, let me ask you this, because you mentioned yourself, and this is where I'm curious. You mentioned yourself in the beginning of this episode that history is interesting, 
not because of history itself, but because you tie it towards a bigger vision. And I, I wanted to ask you this during the beginning, but I didn't get a chance to. What is the bigger vision for you? So mine is mine is a bit complex in the sense that it, it is to convey history itself, right? It is to make, so it's like circular because I want to make history more exciting. Um, and, and that process makes history more exciting for me, right? Every single day. So um, I, you know, and, and one of the lessons that I learned from the people that I paid attention to um, in, in history who excelled in different fields was that, um, you know, that, that curiosity, right? The Muslims would never, there, there was this culture of never leaving any stone unturned. Like you can think of the wildest subject and there's probably like five books on it. Right. And, and one of my favorite uh, topics is sort of the, um, uh, the, the history of laughter or, or sorry, the, the sort of scientific explanation for laughter. You have all these great physicians who, you know, you might think, okay, they're working with all these illnesses and all these things they have to treat. And they're like, hold on a second. I'm also going to write a little book on where I think laughter comes from. Why do humans laugh and things like that? Right. And it's just like a fascinating body of knowledge. Like you would think, oh, it's not that important. I mean, that's not even an illness. Right. I just want to go for the important stuff. No, because the, the sense of curiosity was so strong and it was so much encouraged by the social values of the time um, that, that that's what they did. And so for me, you know, the vision is very much about, you know, I, I don't mind reading the dusty old books in the library. Like I, I kind of you'll find me there. Right. I, I enjoy it. Alhamdulillah. Um, but I know that people do not. Right. Generally, like reading is something that I think it's, it's pretty clear that is is in decline as an activity um, and especially history as a topic. So my vision is to how do I bridge those two? How do I reconnect people to history and especially through the new opportunities that are given to me by new technologies, right? So even something as simple as, as a podcast or social media would be a starting point, but you know, we have like virtual reality, we have like, uh, you know, artificial intelligence stuff, we have video games, all of these things are extremely effective in conveying basic messages about history, getting people interested enough to then figure out what aspect of history they might be interested in. Uh, and then, you know, uh, then hopefully they'll pick up a book and read about it in more detail. So, so using all of those new technologies, and secondly, sort of filling in the gaps, right? Even when it comes to, for those who are aware or would be considered people who are generally aware of Islamic history, um, they're they're aware of, of, of very small sort of glimpses of it and often things that aren't immediately relatable to them, right? So I want to, again, like I mentioned, I want to broaden people's horizons about what history is. It's like, why is the history of Canada or the history of Muslims in Canada, for example, not considered as important as the story of Salahuddin? Right. That's us doing ourselves a disservice. It's also us doing a disservice to all of our, you know, Canadian neighbors and co-workers and friends, because that would be opening a way to open the doors of Dawah to them. It's like, hey, we are part of your story. We have been your neighbors, not just for the past 20 years, but for the past 150 years. Let's talk about all of our shared experiences, things like that. So, you know, when we talk about contributions, why don't we talk about people like, you know, uh, the, the Bengali architect, Fazlur Rahman, who, who designed, you know, some of the tallest skyscrapers in the United States of America. Why does it 
have to be about Ibn Sina like a thousand years ago. Ibn Sina is important, but our, our, you know, our stories are so much more diverse. Our history is so much more rich and has left an impact in so many places. So those are the two areas I want to focus on. One, how to use digital technologies to enhance the way we learn especially the way the public and the Muslim community learns Islamic history. And then secondly, just broadening our horizons within the Muslim community about what we consider to be Islamic history, what we consider to be beneficial stories, uh, because there's a lot of benefit that we're missing out on just because we don't know that history. SubhanAllah. That's a beautiful mission. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant you better on this mission and allow you to achieve it. I mean... I want to ask you as we, um, because, you know, I'll, I'm, I'm listening to you talk and to be completely honest, I'm like, man, I think this should have been like a three hour episode because there's so much more I want to ask. So we're probably gonna have to bring you back because there's so many more topics that I want to ask. And, you know, as you mentioned, we really were unfortunately only able to like dive surface level to a lot of things, but Alhamdulillah, I still think the conversation was extremely beneficial. One thing that I do want to ask you is, is there anything that you wanted to share uh, in regards to Islamic history, entrepreneurship or anything else we talked about or maybe didn't talk about? Um, that I didn't ask you something with our listeners that you had on your mind that you thought would be worthwhile to share. Uh, yeah, I just want to share uh, a couple of things. The first is that there is uh, an amazing book that I, I don't see circulated a lot. Um, it's literally titled uh, "Fiery Ambitions: The Fuel That Produces Greatness." Uh, it by um, a scholar, uh, Muhammad uh, Ibn Ismail Al Muqaddim, and okay. translated by uh, another scholar, Muhammad Al Shinawi, into English. And the, the book is almost purely about entrepreneur, entrepreneurial values in Islam, right? Oh, so I, I, I got my hands on that. Right. So it's like, yeah, it's like a little known book, but once I got my hands on it, I was like, this is the most incredible sort of book for people who want to take their lives in that direction. I um, mean, full of anecdotes and, and inspiration from the Quran and Sunnah and, and Islamic history. Um, so that's one thing. And the other thing that I want to uh, share um, is uh, for entrepreneurs to to keep in mind the unique opportunity they have for da'wah, uh, because when we look at Islamic history, trade and, and entrepreneurship has played an essential role in the spread of Islam, right? Uh, throughout the different parts of the world. And, and that's something that hopefully we can delve into in a lot more detail. Okay, with the Silk Road. Uh, yeah. But but definitely like 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 read those stories, especially the role of trade, because that will motivate you, right? When 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 you look at countries that are home to millions and millions of Muslims today, right? And then these vibrant and rich Muslim cultures and even history now. And then you realize that it all started with some some traders, people who are entrepreneurial, not only carrying goods and services, but also carrying values and, and carrying a message with them everywhere that they went. SubhanAllah. And that's that's the key is what you mentioned is like not only carrying the services product, but carrying their values along with them everywhere they went. SubhanAllah. I, I, I absolutely love that that statement. A Muslim is known. It, it, it's interesting. I, I don't know if I, I think I remember like hearing this somewhere, reading this somewhere. I could be wrong. But but I, I remember someone saying this around me and it could even be a friend. I really don't remember the source, but it was essentially that you recognize a Muslim immediately when they enter the room by their scent by their behaviors and by their character, right? Um, and I think there's also a similar hadith the Prophet where he talks about that in some way, but I, I, I for some reason, I'm, my mind is blanked out. But if we are able to embody the, the true character of a Muslim in all of our interactions in business with our customers and everything that we do and how we treat our team and how we treat the people that we deal with, the, the, the suppliers, the manufacturers, you know, 
um, the resellers, everyone that you deal with in business, if you're able to embody your Islamic character and values in each of those interactions, and that in itself is da'wah as well. When you're able to really not only speak of how Islam is beautiful, but much rather personally show them how Islam is beautiful through your character, right? And um, there's this beautiful, beautiful statement. And I, I don't remember which one of the wives of the Prophet said this. I believe it was Aisha, عنها, who said that the Prophet was a walking, he was a walking Quran, right? When, he, when, when she was asked about him, how he was like, she said he was a walking Quran. And that is truly the, the greatest ideal that we can strive for is instead of trying to convey the Quran is to be a walking Quran, not only in business, but in life, inshallah. Um, what are your thoughts on that, brother, before we wrap it up? Because, yeah, man, this was amazing. I wish we had more time, man, for real. No, I absolutely, <laughs> absolutely agree with everything you just said. Um, that That's essentially it, right? Like people, people uh, again, they might not have any other reason to interact with you, but um, business is one of those things where everyone is looking out for their own benefit, right? And then they have uh, the impediments to not interact are reduced, right? And you seize that opportunity. You know, again, like you mentioned uh, very beautifully, like, you know, they should they should take a double take. It, they should look back again. It's like, hey, there's something different about these people. Who is their role model? Who is inspiring them? What teachings are they following, right? We all understand trade. Trade is one almost universal language. Right, it's, it's more or less just just cultured in different ways, but there's there really is something different about the person I met who was doing the trade, right? And at Hanala, you know, again, you think about West Africa, you think about Southeast Asia, you think about uh, China, you think about places that just have incredible histories, the Silk Road, right, um, of of Muslims, and and you just realize that it was it was people who decided to um, to make the to make the effort, right, uh, to, to move around there. There's a beautiful um, saying, uh, especially in Sufi literature, it comes up a lot that uh, al haraka baraka, right? So you're you're if you, if you have haraka going on, like movement is in movement, there's blessing, basically, yes. right? As long as you're you're moving, as long as you don't stagnate, as long as you're um, trying, you know, even even your brain is is moving, you're trying to come up with new ideas, do new things, and and spiritually and emotionally and physically, as long as there's movement. Uh, you can hope that the baraka will come to that movement. The only way it's not going to come is if you sit around and not do anything, right? So, inshallah, that, that comes for all of us and the work that we're doing and everything good that we're aspiring to. I mean, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala baraka in all of our lives. Hassan, this was an absolute pleasure of a podcast. Where can people connect with you? And is there anywhere, any place that you want them to go, something that you're working on that you'd like them to check out? Uh, yeah, for now, just on social media. So my social media handle, I think pretty much everywhere is hassam.history. Um, and I do have a blog. It's ihistory.co, not .com. I don't know where that will take you. So ihistory.co, just keep that in mind. Uh, but those are easy ways. And, and I love conversation. I love ideas. You know, So please do feel free to reach out and, and inshallah, I will be responsive. Inshallah. Hopefully we can bring you back on for a bit of a deeper discussion. Maybe next time put aside two, three hours and kind of do a special you know, <laughs> a three-hour-long podcast, inshallah, we'll dive deeper. Wa alaikum. Assalamu alaikum, brother. Wa alaikum, salam.